This is the Chiefs' official podcast network. Take advantage of the day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Defending the Kingdom, a brand new podcast. Mitch Holt is with you, the voice of the Chiefs, and the most famous barber since maybe the Barber of Seville or Floyd the Barber. Or what's the latest movie out? You know, anyway, uh, Sean Barber, 10-year National Football League veteran. This is going to be fun, brother, but it's an exciting time and great to get this kicked off. Definitely. Um, definitely being part of this podcast, Defending the Kingdom, showing different ways, different viewpoints, different uh, points of emphasis from on the field, off the field, from in my mind, in the mind of a former player, in the mind of a historian and somebody who knows so much about the Chiefs inside and outside, Mr. Mitch Holtis. Uh, we're going to bring it. We're going to bring it every every opportunity to show so many different angles of what's going on with the kingdom. Barbershop, this is a very exciting time, obviously. I've, I've honestly, in my brief 26 years with this franchise, have never seen the fever pitch this high for so long. It's like the button has never been turned off and the level's way up. But I want to ask you, one thing that's overlooked here, I think, is the influence of Andy Reid. You have perspective. You played for him a couple of occasions. But when he made the decision to come here in the first week of 2013, everything changed. Let's talk about what is easy to drive by in all of this excitement, and that is the influence that the Chiefs have a potential Hall of Fame head football coach. I mean, that's something that I think a lot of fans, uh, even, so, even some players, probably take for granted. Um, to be able to play for a coach that's a potential Hall of Famer, a guy who is uh, the, beyond the wins and losses, who create and manipulate and manage and organize and help young boys grow to be men on and off the field is something that uh, Coach Andy Reid has done as a, at a very high click. Um, he's been successful at every place he's been, um, not bringing only uh, you know, wins, but also division championships, uh, conference championships. Um, so he knows how to do it. He knows how to get it done. But one thing he's always done, he's treated, uh, he treats men like men. He respects your time. He respects your effort. He understands there's faith, family, and football, and all of those things are equally balanced for a guy to be a fully functional football player. Uh, and he respects you as a person. Those type of things are, 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 are kind of hard to do and be a head football coach of such a, a you know, great organization as the Chiefs. Mitch Holtis, Sean Barber here on Defending the Kingdom, our initial program, initial podcast. We're going to be doing this all throughout the offseason and during the season, so it's going to be good stuff here. Andy Reid, 65 wins as a Chiefs head coach. 207, I think, overall. So he's sixth all-time in NFL, seventh all-time in NFL history, soon to be sixth. Why, from an X's and O's standpoint, has he been so successful? Everybody sees him as an offensive guy. Mm-hmm. I think if, if need be, what I've learned from him is he could be a defensive coordinator for anybody. Well, one thing Coach Andy Reid does is he manages the environment. Not only just the X's and O's, not just about teaching uh, football philosophy to his quarterback. I know everybody thinks he's a quarterback guru, right? They call him the quarterback whisperer. He, uh, he revives certain quarterbacks. Um, and he, he takes a, a, a young man out of college and makes him an MP, MVP candidate in the second uh, year in the NFL. Those things are great. But what Andy Reid does uh, probably better than any other coach out there, and I say any, 
um, that's currently in the NFL is he creates an atmosphere for guys to learn. And that's what the decisions he makes of where to have training camp, how long to practice guys, when to get into pads, when to get out of pads. He creates a, a leadership board in each position. Each position has one guy that's that, that group, that personnel leader. And collectively, those five to eight individuals meet with Andy on, the, on a weekly basis to find out what's the tempo and the temperature of the team. And when you take those things into account as a head coach, you don't always get to do things uh, how you want to do it. Some things you have to uh, curve your enthusiasm. You have to do some things that the, that you feel are right for the team to do, and not always uh, from an X's and O's or how you had it scheduled out. And Andy's he takes all those things into account. He takes what everybody is feeling, and then he also uh, he does a great job of building his coaching staff. He has some of the best assistant coaches. Uh, coaches are only as good as assistant coaches. Assistant coaches are only as good as the players they have on the field, and it goes downhill from them. So the trickle-down effect of what it takes to be a great head coach, um, he's found a way to bring all those things, all those components here to Kansas City, and now we have a, we have a contender. Mitch Holtis with Sean Barber here. You have an interesting perspective. You played for him twice. <laughs> yeah, I got fired twice, Bob. He fired you twice. <laughs> so he hired you twice, and he fired you twice. <laughs> and I kept coming back. Sounds like the old Billy Martin, New York Yankees, and Steinbrenner of the baseball in the old days. Let's talk about your first stint, why you went to work for him, because you went from a division opponent in the Washington Redskins to Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think he saw me on the other side of the ball playing against me while with the Redskins for a few seasons. And um, I was a playmaker. I was a guy who was a ball hawk. Uh, I ran to the ball um, relentlessly. Uh, and then when I got there, I got there with a little attitude, and I wanted that ball out. I wanted to strip the ball out, create turnovers. And I think he envisioned him and Jim Johnson envisioned uh, the skills I brought to the field as being a part of their defense. And, and they seen it as being a perfect fit. Uh, so I lasted there for a year, <laughs> stayed for a season uh, to prove I was healthy. Uh, I was coming off of an injury, so they got me on the cheap. But I proved I was healthy. Um, and that kind of led to me being uh, one of the most coveted uh, outside linebackers in that 2003 uh, offseason, uh, and that brought me here to Kansas City. So um, Andy having some belief in me and some hope in me, uh, seeing me be a part of that uh, Jim Johnson, that very aggressive playmaking style defense, uh, was one of the foundational stepping stones to eventually bring me to Kansas City. Come to Kansas City, but then Andy hires you back <laughs> in 2006. Why did you do that? Uh, they tried some replacements. They had, they had some other guys. They tried to come in behind me, and uh, I guess you know, in two or three seasons, realized they didn't they didn't feel like the guys who were replacing me uh, played it at the same uh, tempo. They didn't play with the same passion. They didn't uh, they wasn't as uh, athletic or didn't didn't create as many turnovers as I did in that position. Uh, so it was an opportunity to kind of get the band back together again. Uh, so me returning to Philadelphia uh, again after an injury to prove I was healthy. Uh, to prove I could still play the game at a high level. Um, Andy took a chance. I was coming off of a, a ACL injury. I had drop foot uh, in one of my foot. So I, I, I was, I mean, I was on the mend. I was, I was part of that Red Cross team in any, in any fashion. And, and so he took a chance on me. He took a chance on me coming back. And uh, he, he knew me as a person, knew me as a man, knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't sign up doing anything I couldn't do. Um, so they finished rehabbing me, put me out on the field. And I had one of my, I had, I think, my second or third best season of my career. Again, in both years, you were with Andy, 2 6 you won the division and you won in the postseason. Interesting, but that's transitions now to our next thought here. Mitch Holtz again with Sean Barber, defending the kingdom. 
our first podcast of many. And that has to deal with the Chiefs being in an unusual position they've never been before. Six decades of this franchise. Now all of a sudden, back-to-back-to-back division titles. Here's what I've noticed, Sean. First year you won a division title, everybody's like, well, you know, that's okay. I'm talking about the other division foes. Mm -hmm. The second one, now they start to like grouse a little bit. You went back-to-back-to-back, they don't like it at all. You were part, that 0-2 team you were with Andy in Philly, the same thing was happening. The NFC East was changing. Andy became the dominant team with the Eagles there. The Chiefs have been the dominant team in the AFC West. So here we are. Now I have to ask you, how do you stay on top when it, you have three division foes wanting to knock you out every day? Man, it's consistency. Um, it's an attitude of, of being consistent as far as how you go about your work each day as preparation for the games, uh, players preparing themselves for the practice field, uh, coaches preparing themselves for the game plan, and then being able to you know, be a teacher. You, at some level, all coaches have to be teachers. They have to teach the guys the X's and O's, the philosophies. But these philosophies, uh, as other teams prepare for you, you have to change them. They have to morph. They have to grow. They have to continue to uh, turn the page to the next chapter. Um, And that's one thing in in Philadelphia, I think, that uh, Coach Andy Reid and his staff did uh, better than anybody else in the NFC East at the time was they continued to grow and morph, create different ways to attack uh, through the short runs, the short passes. Um, The offense was very explosive, took big shots down the field, and the defense just continued to find different ways to put pressure on that quarterback. Um, And I see a similar uh, atmosphere building here in Kansas City. Um, getting the ball out of uh, 15's hand, let Pat find the receivers, then letting the receivers go make first downs. Uh, when when the defense plays too you know too close to the line, we take shots up the field, and then being able to when you need to grind and, and create first downs on the on the ground, uh, having Williams, um, having having the different guys in the backfield that can actually churn for three or four yards, get those tough yards, even when you know they're gonna. Uh, be prepared to stop the run. You have to still be able to be, uh, you know, be dominant enough to make sure that your attitude is inflicted and your will is inflicted on your opponent. Interesting. I want to ask you because you'd said one of the uh, points of emphasis to stay on top in a division is your home games, like to be oh, yeah. dominant at home. So I was looking back at this. The Chiefs have not lost a Sunday noon game in the division since 2014. The losses in the division have been on Thursday nights. Hmm. Last year at home against the Chargers, a couple Thursday nights at Oakland, and a Thursday night against the Broncos in 15. That's it. So the sea of red, we talk about it all the time, but Arrowhead Stadium, the impact of being dominant at home and how that can intimidate opponent or at least just wreck their preparation coming into the week. I've always thought that your home field advantage is one of the most single um, important um, aspects to a championship team being able to really um, take advantage of a, a a a great team, a great atmosphere. You talk about the Sea of Red. We talk about here in the kingdom. The one thing I do understand about being a defensive player is you have a thing called a snap count. The offense get to make the play. They get to determine what the snap count is. But they only can determine it if the offensive line and the receivers and the tight end can all hear the snap count. So when the sea of red, when you're a home field advantage, when that crowd gets roaring and the quarterback can't change the play, he can't audible, 
The offensive line can't hear the snap count. Now they have to go to the silent count, silent snap count. And on defense, your guys up front, your defensive ends, your your, your nose tackles, all those those guys, pass rushers that are coming after that quarterback, they start to put their ears back. They they start to get in that sprinter stance because they know now that the offensive line has to look at the football. And when they have to look in the football to take a step back, and our pass rushers are exploding out of their stances to get to that quarterback, the advantage swings to the defense. You know that ball has to come out fast, and you know you can be super aggressive because you know that offense can't uh, audible and change the play depending on what they see you play on defense. Whatever they lined up to run, they got to run. And that's when defenses start to salivate. They start getting hungry. They start they, – uh, uh, you smell that blood in the water, and you just start attacking, attacking, attacking. And when the momentum starts to flow, the, the crowd, it's like a call and response. You make the big play, you get the sack, you get the turnover, and you hand the ball over to your offense, and now the crowd can rest. And you have offense at work. And now our offense can hard count. We can audible. We can do all the things that their offense can't do, advantage Chiefs. So when you see that atmosphere and you know that's the, the atmosphere you're about to play in each and every home game, it makes great defenses become championship defenses. I've seen it from the other perspective. Going to Seattle last year, Seattle was waiting in the wings, man. Yeah. They were ready to roll. And it was just it was a difficult environment to play in. Now, the Chiefs handled it, but Russell Wilson was good that night, and it was we know what it is. But I've seen it from the other side. And then just – the mental pressure it puts on a team, just knowing you're going to walk into a cauldron like that. What does that do mentally and emotionally to a player to know this ain't going to be an easy day? Well, you're watching film, and you see the offenses jump off sides multiple times um, in, in the game before. And then you see a pass rusher <laughs> timing the count and getting off right when the snap and sacking your quarterback. If you're the quarterback about to come in and you're watching that type of film, it makes you uneasy. And you're thinking about it all week during practice. And you're trying to generate uh, crowd noise at practice to try to uh, simulate what you're about to hear. It's nothing. It's no comparison to what it is on game day when all the emotion and all the adrenaline is flowing. And you can't – you're unsure if your teammate hears the same thing you just heard. So if our first quarter was Andy Reid's influence and our second quarter was how to stay on top of the division before – so we're at halftime – we're headed to the third quarter here, Barbershop. But you have a quote here. I don't know where you got it, but I like it. And it deals with the Chiefs being on top of the AFC West and being poked at, chased by the others. Winners focus on ways to win. Losers focus on winners. Explain. Well, that speaks of the AFC West right now. The Chiefs winning back to back to back. We're not worried about what the Chargers are doing. We're not worried about what the Raiders or the Broncos are doing. We're worrying about how to become better at being who we are. We're setting the tempo. We're setting the tone. All the other teams have to worry about us. They need us to take a step back just to catch up. And when you have that advantage going into each and every season, when you're on top of that mountain, you stay on top of that mountain by keep kicking everybody else off. As they try to take that next foothold, you kick them down. They try to grab up to your foot, you kick it off. Whatever they're trying to do, you stay one step ahead of the game. Um, it's tough to do. It, it, it's challenging to get to the top of the mountain, but it's almost impossible to stay there. And that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're in uncharted waters, back-to-back-to-back to back to back AFC West championships. 
on the other side of this, you could put the Patriots up right in the obviously with six Super Bowl championships. But I remember Andy training this team, getting on the plane in 17 to open the season in Foxborough. Everybody that got on that plane wasn't worried about the Patriots. They respected them. But it was like, I'm telling you, Barbershop, everybody had the look on their eye. We're mm-hmm. going to beat these guys. And that's, you know, to beat them in Foxborough and put 42 points on the board stunned everybody. But it was that Andy bringing up that feeling of, you know, winners focus on getting better, losers focus on winners. So yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Oh, definitely. And I, I know he, in, he, he unloads and downloads so many what we call coach-isms um, to have guys visualize themselves just um, at their best, visualize guys uh, uh, achieving their, their goals and their tasks. Um, it's so important for players to be able to envision themselves being successful on and off the field. Um, because you, you, you are uh, asking that guy to kind of uh, drown out the rest of the world and just focus for those 60 minutes on being a Chiefs player, doing whatever he has to do to help the Chiefs win. Not everybody can do that. Sometimes the, the, the outside noise, the distractions, everything from the, from the exterior becomes interior. You start to let the outside become uh, who you are inside, and you have to battle those uh, battle all that noise, and you have to battle all that drama, and it's hard to really focus on what your job is on the field. Uh, Coach Andy finds so many different ways to challenge the guys during the week of how to stay focused, uh, how to stay in tune, how to, how, to, how to keep your eyes on the prize, to make, make sure the main thing is still the main thing, uh, which is the team growing and progressing uh, to be able to play consistently like a champion, consistently. That's always the whole the, the thing is being consistent. Be who you are and be at every snap of the ball game. If you're a playmaker, make plays. If you're a grunt, if you're an offensive line and you, you like to get bloody, you like to get your nut, if you're, you know, whatever you are, whatever you do, continue to do it every snap of the game. No supermen. Nobody needs to put on a cape. We are good <laughs> enough just the way we are playing our style of football. And that's the thing that makes everybody in the league. That's why I think that every game, uh, the Chiefs, uh, uh, they, 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 they have a great chance of winning every football game, and it starts with Coach Andy Reid. Absolutely. Now, you alluded to it earlier in the podcast here, but the fact that he also respects the human spirit and the dignity of his players and coaches. Challenging without demeaning. It's, it's awesome to see it. All right, now let's go into the third quarter of this podcast, and that is dealing with the – External expectations. Let's go beyond the division now, and that is the Chiefs are part of this. The Chiefs are seen in some to be a Super Bowl favorite, at least to challenge the Patriots and the other leaders. So instead of being a, you know, a spike on a curve somewhere, they're now setting the curve. How do you deal with that as a player and as an organization, knowing that the NFL has got the bright lights on you? It's a mindset thing. You, you've got to always, when, when training camp comes, you've got to reset your body. You've got to reset your mental focus. Um, every training camp, I went in thinking I was a rookie. I thought that I had to fight for my job. I had to fight for my uh, playing time. I had to fight for my uh, lunch <laughs> um, to, to get on the table, even take my – every training camp, I took the mindset of a rookie. I need to learn my playbook all over again. Take nothing for granted. Sometimes when you're first year, second year into a playbook, you feel like, oh, I already know this part of it. I already know this part of it. But it's always growing. It's all, they're always finding ways to fine-tune and get it better. So the way that you can be the best player you can be is go back to step one. 
relearning the fundamentals during OTAs, relearning the fundamentals of uh, why are we doing what we do as far as philosophically when it comes to offense and defense. Um, when we pursue to the ball, what are the uh, positive and negatives of us pursuing to the ball, creating turnovers, creating sacks, creating pressures? Um, when you learn, to, when you go back to the fundamentals of all these things, they become the building blocks of some really great uh, expectations. And so it starts with OTAs, it goes to the preseason, goes through the regular season, and then the playoffs. In that order, you can't arrive too soon. And I think in the past, sometimes the Chiefs had come out the block so fast. All right, they came out so fast, everybody predicting this, this is the team, this is the team. You just got to continue to let that team grow, um, take some bumps, take some bruises, learn the things they are really good at, uh, fine-tune and fix things they aren't great at. And then when the uh, end of the season comes, you want to be hitting on all cylinders. Andy's pretty, pretty soon he's going to say this publicly, and that is every team has its own personality. Whatever happened last year doesn't necessarily mean what's going to happen this year. And what you're saying here – I'm curious to take a little further here that you're saying this has to be sequential. It has to be in the weight room. Then it has to go to the OTAs and it has to go to mandatory minicamp. Then it goes to camp, but every team has to somehow like you're, you're making a great dish. You've got to have the ingredients. What about sequentially and skipping no steps? Can't we, 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 we've, you've been a part of you. you, I mean, me and you have the the blessing of being a part of, uh, being a part of uh, Andy's training camp at some form of fashion, seeing all the groundwork put in, seeing all the fundamentals uh, being uh, taught uh, from the different days of OTAs when it comes to third and short, third and long, uh, first down situation, uh, red zone, goal line, uh, green zone, all the different uh, terminologies that the offense has and defense has of, uh, this processing what is your mindset for this situation of football. Those situations are constantly talked about, constantly practiced, constantly rehearsed so that when it happens in the game, it shouldn't catch you off guard. When it happens in the game, it's not like this is the first time we've been in this situation. Um, and, 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 and true champions rise to that occasion. They, 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 they ask to be put in the tough situations at practice uh, during the, in the weight room. Uh, they want to be challenged uh, on the field, off the field, um, all throughout off season, uh, so they know that when uh, the game comes, um, I know a lot of really great players always talk about the game is easy. It's 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 the off season commitment. It's sacrificing time away from your family, uh, making all those uh, sacrifices of commitment and dedicating your time and your efforts uh, off the uh, field during the off season. Uh, when it comes to the season, you know those dates. Those 16 dates are set. You can prepare for them like no other. Uh, but it's the unknowns, the challenges that come up uh, with all the off-the-field distractions. Uh, and how you react to those things is what's going to set you uh, apart from the good teams, the great teams, and the championship teams. Yeah, one of Andy's four pillars is eliminate distractions. Yeah. And he talks about, and that's one of the four um, really basis fundamental points that he's got. But you balancing family you mentioned too i mean in, in media and outside interests there, there's so much interest in the nfl there's podcasts like this there's all these sites there's national sites local sites but you said something's interesting you said many times those outside sources are rewarded to research and report the distractions i mean that's sometimes they feel like that's their job but if you're inside the fort how is it different to somehow mitigate those or maybe the wrong word to eliminate them or at least to not let those distractions affect the field. 
Well, you got to understand, you know, when, when someone attacks your teammate, somebody attacks a coach or any, any staff that's part of an organization, uh, in a way they're taking a shot at your um, ability to go out and perform. Um, everybody has a role to play, and as long as everybody's uh, afforded the, uh, the benefit of playing that role to their, uh, to, up to their ability, then we all can progress. And so when things uh, happen and the media decide to uh, chop something apart or take a segment of something, shine a bad light on one of your teammates, um, and then put the mic in front of a player, uh, how do you, how do you re- reply to uh, one of your players getting uh, you know, caught doing this or out past this point or being with this certain person? Uh, those things are all just uh, divide, divisors. They want to they divide and conquer. And the way they do that to a team is taking news segments, taking things from your personal life and uh, trying to put those in front of you to speak negatively against a teammate. But, but here, if you, if you understand that uh, the goal is the goal, the main thing is the main thing, you know the mindset is for y'all to build a, a, a unit, a team. Uh, nothing comes between um, that, that unit and that team. It's very tough to, uh, and I think that's something like we talk, something the Patriots have done better than anybody else. Um, you, you just you don't hear as much negativity in the media uh, cycle when it comes to the, uh, the the Patriot way. It's their it's their way of going about it. Um, here in the kingdom, uh, when we, come, we talk about TV stations and radio stations, uh, I've been on radio before, and I've I've I felt like I've uh, carried my my, my chief shield and sword and helmet <laughs> and go in there and fight. Uh, uh, fight to speak positively about the team no matter what the, uh, the case, the scenario, no matter what the outcome of the game. Um, finding, finding people taking, taking shots and, and, and attacking, uh, taking personal shots and attacking coaches and staff members um, like anybody in the organization is, is trying to not win was something that I took as being an insult. And it, and it usually brought out a very uh, defensive uh, personality, a defensive response. So I just think that you, you lock arms, um, you understand that we all are part of this. Um, it's such a unique uh, organization that uh, has wrapped its arms around the entire uh, fan base. And when we talk about the kingdom, it's not just the players on the field, it's not just the coaches, uh, it's the staff, it's the fans, it's the family of the players. Uh, it's anybody who can hear our voices right now uh, if you're expecting the Chiefs to win, if you're hoping for success for this season, um, then you are part of the kingdom. Yeah, I've said this many, many times that teams, football teams in specific, can take months, if not years, to build, and it can take one sentence yes. to fracture it. It's fascinating. All right, fourth quarter of our initial podcast here, defending the kingdom, Mitch Holtis and Sean Barber, and that has to deal with the internal competition. Now we're talking inside the fort. You and I have been watching uh, through the OTAs and rookie minicamps, getting ready now for the mandatory minicamp. Man, I am seeing immense competition within the position groups. And how do you handle that as a player? You're trying to beat me out. I'm trying to beat you out. That means I'm taking groceries off your table. <laughs> but you and I both, both, might both beat the, beat, beat the other cat out, which means now you're my teammate. I mean, there's some dynamics here with this team inside that locker room that are strong, but it is a very competitive environment inside of who's going to make this team. Well, I'll tell you one thing you do. You can't start counting chairs at the table. 
if you're counting, it's 53 chairs and as a linebacker, we are accountable. Uh, we account for six of those chairs and, uh, you know, these three guys are automatically starting. So it's three more positions. And right now I'm just, no, if you go in it with that mindset, you're, you're defeated. During training camp, during OTAs, it's all about developing the best version of yourself possible. And not only developing the best version of yourself possible, but knowing that you need other guys in that locker room to step their game up. Other guys in your same position room, give me your best every day so I can show on film how I compete against the best. I need a receiver to run his best routes so I can show I can cover those routes as a DB. I need the running backs to give me his best move to show I can still stay with him as a cover linebacker. I need the fullback to come full speed in that lead <laughs> so I can show him that I can uh, blow up a fullback and still be in position um, to, to, to take my run gap. Because if guys don't show their best, then, then, then it leaves doubt in the coach's mind. It leaves doubt in the scout's mind what will happen when, when, when it does get turned up. But if you can create that type of competition, that type of intensity on the field in your OTAs, in your practice, in your training camp, it's going to be a hard decision deciding who's the last 53 standing. But the competition you've created will make sure that that 53 can stand the test of time. And the one thing we talked about is that how do you compete against a guy knowing that if you're making him better, it also might make your chance of making the team even slimmer. Well, when you go out there and play on preseason and OTAs, you're not just playing for the 53 seats in this team. All 32 teams watch all that film. All those scouts are watching all that film. And when they see you blow up a guy or make a great play or do anything, if you do not make our team, the, another great aspect about Coach Andy Reid is he'll, he'll vouch for you. He'll, talk, he'll, he'll pick up the phone and call one of his, uh, you know, that, that Andy Reid tree is is long, <laughs> has a lot of roots, it has a lot of uh, head coaches with other teams. He'll, if, if you're a deserving player, he will vouch for you and make sure that you, you at least uh, get a call from somebody else and possibly make another team. And, that, and that's very rare. That's rare that he feels so confident in the 53 he's keeping, he's willing to let some guys who are deserving a spot uh, actually make another team. To your point, what I've noticed here too in 26 years in the league being cut now doesn't mean you're going to be not called in two weeks. Injuries at a position. Uh, I mean, Butker got cut by the Carolina and gets called back. And first of October, he's been the kicker here since October of 17 or whatever. And I think you are a living example of this with Andy Reid. Like, he's got to be watching. If you and I are competing for a spot, he watches to see how I handle it. If I'm trying to, like, you know, cut you down or get you out of my way. It may be uh, negative. He asked you back four years later. He had to be studying you knowing, hey, he's going to help my locker room in the fact that you left to go to the Chiefs but then came back. What is like? It's the old no doesn't mean no right now, or it just means no right now. It doesn't mean no forever. What about that and learning how to be a player and a pro? I just thought that part of being an NFL player was that your position group, you really wanted to make sure that your position group rised above whatever the expectations was. And what I called it is outplaying my, my, my contract. No matter what I signed on that dotted line, at the end of the year, I wanted to make the organization feel like they didn't pay me enough. <laughs> I didn't care if I was the highest paid linebacker or, or a minimum wage guy. I wanted to make sure that every dollar that I signed up to, to get, I earned. 
Um, and some of that was not even my play on the field was how I took the young guys under my wing, how I made sure that we watched film together, how I made sure that some guys who used to be guys that go to the club, I would convince them how better to use their time on the weekends. Um, being a good role model and example of how, uh, how to uh, handle your family, how to handle um, problems or issues with your wife and kids. All of those aspects are part of the mentorship piece that as a veteran linebacker, you're, you're entrusted to handle that. And one of the most beautiful things, um, you asked me to come with you to practice the other day, and I had a chance to listen to Sammy Watkins talk. And he talked about his growth as a player, and now he's growing because he feels more vocal. But he also talked about the mentorship portion of it and how he felt like now it's time for him to really take that next step is to be a mentor to the, the young wide receivers. That is what having a Andy Reid in your organization, um, he, 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 he emboldens, he emblazons, he gives a guy like Sammy Watkins the, 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 the comfort to, to step out on that uh, uncomfortable um, role as being the mentor in that, in that, in that, in that locker room. That is why you lasted 10 years in the league, my friend. That's why we're sitting here together um, and why Andy gave you another shot. This could be fun. We're going we're gonna to be defending the kingdom. And so people uh, just kind of be on the lookout for our next one. The next one is like, where do the Chiefs go from here? Specifically, Patrick Mahomes. Thanks for listening to the Chiefs Official Podcast Network. <laughs>